Well, a couple things kind of before we start. One, want to mention, um, if you're joining us online in the room, you should have picked up communion stuff as you came in. If you're joining online, uh, make sure to grab cracker juice. The cool thing about online is you can actually pause it and you don't miss anything. So um, also this morning, um, Holly and I noticed we were wearing the same sweatshirt and then Chase came in not wearing the same sweatshirt. We said, hey, you could go change. He goes, no way, I'm not matching you guys. Um, so that's kind of how that works. So legacy is an interesting thing, right? For, for many of us, we may think about the definition of legacy. And legacy is defined, if you look at dictionary, they're going to talk a lot about initially the idea of money being left to someone. Now, as far as I know, there is no legacy going to be left to me. I'm just hoping not to get bills when my family dies, right? Like that's where I'm really honest about that. I have no outside money coming in that I know of, right? If I do, it'd be really great, but I don't think that's going to happen. But when we often think of legacy, we don't think about money being passed on to the next generation. We think about the impact of someone's life. Most of the time, when we talk about legacy, we are asking the question, what kind of legacy did they leave behind? We then are wondering, what, what did they do in life? What were the words they spoke? What is left behind them? And so the interesting thing is, usually the people who know us the best give the most honest depiction of our legacy both good and bad, right? There are all kinds of people who have been really popular in culture, and they leave behind legacies where many of us who don't know them say great things about them. And then you hear the stories about the people who knew them the best. And those stories aren't as good. The reality is our legacy really means very little if the people closest to us say the worst things about us. I've always been amazed. I've officiated a lot of funerals in my seven years here, and um, been a few where friends and acquaintances have said really nice things about this person, but their family did not. It's not the kind of legacy we want to leave behind. In fact, I would say that's a poor legacy. And some of us think we build our legacy by more we build whatever we do, what our stuff is, what our profession may be, that that's the kind of legacy we leave behind. But the truth is, at the end of our life, our kids don't care if we sat in a corner suite office. I don't care if our name was published in multiple times. All that stuff is meaningless unless there was a legacy that was built through relationship together. So the question you and I are left with is this. What do the people who know us the best say about us? What do the people who know us the best say about us? Not do what do our coworkers, not does that person down the street, I mean, hopefully they don't say something worse than our family says. That's not a good legacy either. What do the people who know us the best say about us? So one of the things that I love about Jesus is the people who he impacted the most, who he was closest with, honestly have the best things to say about him. His brother James initially is like, man, you're crazy. (laughs) You're not the son of God. I know your mother. (laughs) We grew up in the same house. And eventually James becomes one of the leaders of the early church. He's like, no, 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 I knew my brother. I knew him so much that he changed my mind about who I thought he was. And I became to know who he really was. And I'm all in. Or we could look at Peter, 
who had committed his life to following Jesus and felt value and validated, and he followed after Jesus. And then um, when he's dying, he says, don't crucify me. The legend goes, he said, don't crucify me right side up, but crucify me upside down. I'm not even worthy to be executed the way Jesus was. Not even worthy to die in that way? And then there's John. John, who says Jesus, I mean, it's his own words, so maybe it's, we assume it's true. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. (laughs) In other words, I'm the favorite. Okay, I got to tell this story because he's not here today, so he won't hear it. But you cannot tell Isaac I told this story. So yesterday, he spent the day with one of his aunts and just her. She left her son at home and took him to the Detroit Zoo. They spent the day together. They're leaving the zoo and in the car, she says, what was your favorite part about today? He says, spending the day with my second favorite aunt. (laughs) I laughed pretty hard about that one. (laughs) John doesn't say that, but John assumes he is the favorite, right? I mean, John wrote a lot for us. He wrote the Gospel of John. He also wrote the book of Revelation, and he wrote some letters. And what we see again and again is John wants us to know this. That Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. He came for all people. He came to redeem and to restore. This is who he is. And John's writing these letters, and we're looking at one of them, 1 John, today. John's writing these letters going, hey, listen, some people are misunderstanding who Jesus is. They're not really understanding the depth of our friendship and of his love, and they're just kind of misconstruing his character. And I'm not good with it. And so just let me tell you who my friend is. Let me tell you who this guy I would have laid down my life, who gave me value, who took me as a fisherman and said, come follow me. And I've left that whole life behind and committed my life to telling people about the good news that God's kingdom has come. And it's come in the person of Jesus. And it changes everything. John says, let me tell you about that. And here's where we pick up from 1 John chapter 1. Verse 1 says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. Do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, his word is not in us. 
of this text in which John is writing, this text is an interesting one because it begins with asking, we begin asking this question. He says, in the beginning, does he mean like in the gospel of John where he said like in the beginning of time? Or does he mean like the beginning of Christianity, like the followers of Jesus? And the truth is scholars don't really know and they don't really care because it doesn't change the truth of what he's trying to get across. What he wants us to hear is this. Jesus is the bringer of life. The best of life is found in relationship to him. And he invites all of us to enter into this life together, that we are invited to it. And so he makes clear here that Jesus, Jesus is the one who comes. And because of the goodness of God, because of the way God exists in the world, because of that, if we are repentant, if we truly ask for forgiveness, he offers it. This is the goodness of God. Not only does God invite us to be righteous, to be in right relationship with him, but because of his righteousness, he longs to be in right relationship with us. See, here's what John's trying to get across, is that once Jesus, or the kingdom of God, enters into our life, our current reality, once the future comes into the present, everything changes. We literally are changed. That who we have been does not have to be who we are any longer. And so the question you and I are left to answer is this. Are we willing to embrace the idea that Jesus not only offers these words of life, but if we believe these words to be true, that they literally change our life? See, too often, um, we think we could find a better life outside the words of Jesus. Or maybe if I just take parts of the words of Jesus, I really like that life. And I can do what I want on this half, but I'll do what Jesus says on this half, and I'll kind of live in this in-between area. But this, this is what John is trying to address, that either we're in or we're out. It's our choice. We're in or out. We follow or we don't. And he says, what might happen if we embrace Jesus here and now? What might happen? What might our lives look like? And he says this, we'll have fellowship with one another, while fellowship with God. And the part that's radical, because John eventually dies an old man, stranded on an island. Eleven of the twelve early apostles were martyred for the faith. And he was the only one that didn't die that way. And these guys gave their life for it. Why? Because they understood the second part is too, that their joy was made complete, that they would find Joy. Joy is not the same thing as happiness. Happiness is an emotion that comes and goes. It's impacted by circumstances all around us, but joy is not dependent upon anything else. It is something that is in us or it's not. You see, joy is the essence of Christianity. Joy is the essence of Christianity. The reality is for people who are followers of Jesus, we should live in such a way that regardless of circumstances all around us, in the middle of a pandemic, we can live with joy. Why? Because we know life. What are the words of life? And in the middle of heartache and suffering and grief and despair, we can live with joy. Why? Not because we don't feel. We grieve like everyone else, but we also know joy. And this for us, this is the message that John has been sharing, that God is light. 
fact, we have these words from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What's the life, the light that we're talking about? It's Jesus. John wants us to understand that you and I have this choice. We can walk in light with him, or we can walk in darkness without him, but we cannot walk in both. I mean, sometimes it would be really nice if we could walk in both, because, like, let's be honest, if sinful things weren't fun, people wouldn't do them. It's true. I mean, the ramifications often, I don't usually like the consequences of it, but... But if it wasn't fun, none of us would do it. But what if you're like me and you're going, well, what's, what do you mean by darkness and light? Maybe I would just say it this way. Darkness is life separated from God. Whether that's willfully separated, we just choose to ignore and walk away, or we just don't know. Darkness is life separated from God. And see, here's the thing for some of us. I, I think we think, I think that for some of us, go, yeah, but there are things in my life that have been so bad. There are things I have done or I have said or I have wanted to do that if God ever knew that stuff, he could never really love me because honestly, I don't love myself because I know about what's going on in me or what I've thought or what I've said. And here's what John would want us to know. It doesn't matter. No matter where you have gone, no matter what you have done, God offers his forgiveness to you and I. Period. To our worst enemies and to our best friends. Now, for some of us, though, we go, well, we're tempted on the other side to go, not only I've not been good enough, we're saying, I'm good enough. I haven't really done anything that bad. I, I haven't really done anything in my life that I don't really need to be forgiven. I've heard someone say they're a Christian and say, I have never repented. Then you're not a Christian. Ooh. Like, that's kind of hard, too. But I haven't, I didn't kill anyone. I don't lie to people. I'm honest. But the truth is, for all of us, what would happen? What happened if our life was laid bare? Right, so we live in a day in which lots of people post pictures on Instagram or they send Snapchats, right? And so if I send you a snap, I can put a filter on that. I don't, I took Snapchat from my phone because I used it one time, literally one time, and I was like, I can't figure this thing out. But if I was on Snapchat or I've used Instagram a few times, right, you post a picture and you can put a filter. You can make it look better than it really is. For some of us, we need this, right? Wrinkles, what wrinkles, right? Gray hair, gone. So we know that we can embrace this idea that the lighting in our pictures matters, right? You know, people make money, literally a living, taking pictures of themselves in the most flattering ways they can. Here's what they know. They know they better not take it in a really well-lit room that doesn't go well, right? You know, like the time you, let's be honest, so we'll just 
really transparent for all of us here. If, if we're going to stand in front of a mirror, like when you get out of the shower and you see yourself in all your glory, you want those lights dim. Because when they're not dim, you're going, ooh, I do not look like I used to look. This is what John's trying to say. When it comes to God, we sometimes try to keep the lights dim because we look better when it's shadow. But when it comes to Jesus, he is the light that lays us bare. And God sees us as we are, flaws and all. But here's the crazy thing about God. He loves us in spite of what he sees. And so the question you and I are going to have to wrestle with is this. Are we really willing to allow ourselves to be illuminated, to be laid bare, to be seen as we are? Will we really allow God to speak into and look into the darkest recesses of our soul? The things we have held on to, the things that we, if we're honest, that we don't even recognize sometimes, like we don't recognize our prejudice, our racist thoughts, our political biases, our control of our money. I mean, I can keep going down this list all day long, by the way, because I see it every single day on social media, in the news, everywhere, these areas that we say, well, God, you can talk about that, but you can't talk about my family. You can't talk about the way I idolize them. It's not even love. It's like, it's an idol. Oh. You mean you want some of my money for the kingdom of God? Mm, don't know about that. I had this job, not you. You mean it's possible that not everyone who's a Republican or everyone who's a Democrat is evil? Yeah, it's true. Oh. You want to speak into these things in my life? Do we really want to be laid bare? This is what God says. Do you, are you really willing? This is what John wants us to understand. In him is light and is the light of all mankind. And in him, when he lights up the darkness, darkness has to run. So this is the question. Are we willing to say, Jesus, light up every part of my life? Because the question you and I wrestle with is, what separates us from the life that is light? I love these words from N.T. Wright. Because as we think about what separates us from the light that is life, it's often our pride, our fear, our sin, our ego. I could, it's the things that we don't want to acknowledge, our lack of humility. I mean, on and on it goes. And so here are words for us I think are helpful because we see this text and we go, well, you know, he says that we're all sinners, so I just am a sinner and I have to keep on sinning. But here's, I think, words that are helpful for us. Sinners need to know that Jesus has died for them, that they can be fully and freely forgiven. Forgiven sinners need to know that this is not a reason to go on sinning. Both are true and are at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. If you pick up the New Testament and read John, Paul, Peter, and even Jesus himself, think about the woman who was caught in adultery and he tells her to go sin no more. They're all very clear that too often people try to embrace what we would call cheap grace. In other words, I will do whatever I want, and I'll just ask for forgiveness later. What that really means is you don't really know Jesus. 
It's one thing to know that what you did is wrong and to not and to live with regret and to repent and for God to, to forgive you. It's another thing when you willfully decide, I'm going to continue in this way of life, even though I know it's wrong, but I know God forgives, so I'll just keep doing it. This is the chief grace. This is not having our life illuminated by the goodness of God. It's choosing to walk in darkness and not in light. It is saying that I want this darkness. This is what it means to live in darkness and not to live in light. So one of the great um, thinkers of the 20th century, I won't say theologian, because actually there's some things in terms of theology that, that leave you scratch your head a little bit, but C.S. Lewis is one of the great thinkers of the 20th century. Great philosophers, um, great writer. And so he was asked this question, and he was on a radio show, and, it, and people use it now for, for quite a long time. And, and there's some things that we can poke some holes in, but, but we're not going to do that today. We're just going to recognize he asked this question. If Jesus is who he says he is, if he really is the light into the darkness, if that's who Jesus actually is, then each of us have a decision to make. We say Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. He's a liar. If he's full of it and we don't believe it, then he's literally a liar. Or he's crazy and he didn't know better. Or if Jesus is right and what he says is actually true, then he really is Lord. And Jesus asked a particular question we find throughout the New Testament. It's a simple question. It's about his legacy. He asked the question, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Do you say I'm a liar? Do you say I'm a lunatic? Or do you say I'm Lord? And how we answer that question, how we answer that question chooses whether we choose to walk in light or in darkness. And so what might happen? What might happen if we recognize that God never desires for us to walk in darkness? In fact, there is no place in all of creation that the light of God does not go. There is no place that, that happens. In fact, I would, um, I would say it this way. So I, I, um, I'm not the best at like trying to give you word pictures, but we'll have a word picture here. So um, if we're going to go ahead and just literally turn off the lights. So if the lights literally disappear in this room, this is how light and dark works, right? So it's pretty dark. There's some ambient light. I can't control that. But if this place is complete darkness... Here's what happens when light enters into it. Yes, someone just said, I can't see nothing. Yes, that's exactly it. But one candle, wherever this singular candle goes, wherever light goes, darkness literally cannot be there. It does not matter where I go. That if the light is there, there literally can be nothing in dark. We know that even lights in a room are lumens, they're candles, right? And so even in this room, even our own soul, even our own life, there is no place that when light enters in, we can live in darkness any longer. So even as the lights come back on in this room, even as that happens, we begin to recognize more and more the power of one single light. What might happen what might happen if we allow God to truly begin to illuminate our lives, to shine in the places that we don't want seen by others? What might happen? And here's one of the hard parts for us as followers of Jesus. 
we forget that we were never meant to do this alone. Right? I mean, we kind of want to do it alone because I like being independent and all those kinds of things. But here's the thing for us. Jesus wants to know we are his beloved children. We are not better than any other, but we're not less than any other. Did you catch that? Jesus says we are his beloved children. We are not better than any other, but we're not less than any other. So in other words, no other person impacts, no other person impacts my value. I'm not less than because of anyone else, but I'm not more than because of anyone else either. The greatest thing any of us can ever begin to recognize is the truth of this reality that you and I are God's beloved children, period. I can be nothing greater than that. That is the greatest I can become. So you and I, right, are trying to ask, well, what's the legacy we leave behind? How do we live this out? So I, love, I love the idea that God is in relationship with himself. In fact, there's an ancient understanding of God as, as God does this divine dance between the Father, Son, and Spirit. And we're invited into this divine dance with God. And so maybe I would say it this way, the fellowship of the Father and the Son is extended to us through the work of the Spirit. And then we are called to extend it beyond. We are invited into God's divine dance, and then we are invited to invite others into the same. It's never meant to just be ours to hoard, but ours to share. So what might happen? What might happen in our own lives? If we really allowed God to illuminate our life, what might happen in our hearts, in our minds, in our homes? What might happen if we really began to allow the light, the goodness of God to be seen in us? What might happen if we really did pursue God illuminating our life? We did our part. We moved towards intentional growth with God at work in us. What might happen? And I said, Jesus is Lord. Not only is he Savior, but he's my Lord. I submit to him. I mean, what might happen if I said yes to a life of holiness, recognizing that I'm not going to ever say I, I haven't sinned, but I'm going to say I'm going to pursue God in such a way that so sin no longer has dominion over my life. What if, what if I just said yes to him? Our legacy is defined by the answer to these questions. So I guess if I were to have someone speak about me someday, here's what I kind of hope they would say. He knew the light that gave life, and it was evident to all. He knew the light that gave life, and it was evident he left a legacy that because his life was illuminated by Jesus, others saw the light that is in him. And sometimes we diminish the work of Jesus by this. We say, well, you know, he's going to save me someday. We forget that eternity is entered in here in the resurrection, and eternity entered into the now. And so here and now, this light that is life can be ours. Not just someday right now. And so one of the ways that we have recognized through the centuries, the way that God invites us to recognize 
his light that is life, that illuminates our life, that changes us, is to recognize that we are all in need desperately of his grace. There is nothing we can do that we can earn on our own what God has already done for the person of Jesus, that there is no way you and I can be good enough on our own because good enough is never good enough. Good enough is not holy. But, but, because of the depth of God's love, he says, there's a table prepared for all my people. Everybody's welcome at this table. In fact, there's always an extra seat. And all I ask for you to come sit at this table is to say, not only do I believe Jesus existed, but I believe he is Lord. And not only do I believe he's Lord, but I believe somehow through his death and his resurrection that he offers me new life, that I don't have to be defined by my past, no matter what it is. But I can be defined by his future. And so I know this table, when we gather around it, we take what we call communion or the Lord's Supper or Eucharist. And we say on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you, take and eat. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And every time we take communion, we acknowledge the words of John. We acknowledge the words of John. Jesus, I know that you are light. And too often I have lived in darkness. But I want to come to your table. And I want to be your people. And I want my life to be illuminated by your love so that others, not only am I invited into this divine dance, but I invite others to the dance as well. So this morning we have these prepackaged, awesome tasting elements. I think the wafers were made in this decade. I don't know. But here's the thing for you and I, before we take this today, I want to give an invitation. And if you're taking this today, what you're saying very simply is this. Jesus, I want every aspect of my life illuminated by you. I want to be laid bare. I want to see where I come up short. I want you to surround me with people that will speak into my life. Allow me to listen to them. And not only... Maybe you're saying, oh, I, I say that every day, and that's awesome if that's you. But if today it, there's something special about this for you, that you're saying it in a unique way today, I want you to then, before you leave here today, I want you to tell me or someone next to you or someone else in this room, or if you're joining us online, put a comment or send a message. Because today can be the day when you say, no longer will I allow the darkness to define my life. No longer will I walk in a way that leads to destruction, but I will choose to walk in the light that leads to life, and that life that is eternal begins here and now. And so if that's you today, we take these elements. May that be your prayer. And so as I said, on the night Jesus betrayed, he took the bread that was broken, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. same way he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink. You pray with me. Father, we know that these days are unique for us in our lifetime. 
But John reminds us again that it's from the beginning that you have been present with us. From the beginning of time to the beginning of the Christian movement to this day, you've been actively at work in the world and you desire to change us. And so, Father, we want to have our light, our life illuminated by your light, by your love. We want to be laid bare. Because the crazy thing about you is you see the imperfections and you love us in spite of them and then you heal us, the broken parts of us. And so, Father, we pray today that you would be at work in us and through us. We might recognize that your son Jesus left a legacy that has lasted for generation upon generation, for millennium upon millennium. And we want to live lives, live legacies for the next generation. Father, help us to embrace your son and his love. We pray all of this in your son Jesus' name.